Okay, welcome everyone to uh, Variant Perceptions July 2022 uh, Market Outlook Call. Uh, my name is Aaron, I'm joined by Tian today. And um, similar to prior months, we'll just go over um, what's changed uh, relative to last month, what stood out to us, uh, review some of the, the key equity bond roadmap signs and try to understand where we are in the bear market bottom uh, process. Um, so with that, I think, um, you know, obviously the cyclical environment is uh, still getting worse as what we found in our um, leading indicator watch, updating the liquidity and growth tools. Um, obviously yesterday, CPI surprised higher again. Uh, you know, markets are telling the Fed to step up hikes. Uh, we haven't seen our China leading indicator turn up. Um, and the equity rally is um, losing quite a bit of steam. So I think there is this overwhelming sense of um, essentially what do we do now? Right. Um, and I think this is really where uh, VP tools can help us be systematic and to understand what are the key signposts to watch. Uh, what should we do now um, in terms of respecting some of the tactical tools, marrying that up with the cyclical and structural? Um, you know, for, for us, one of the tools that we that we always whip out in these um, in these environments is our bear market bottoms checklist. Um, you know, it's a, it's a list that spans back, you know, 60, 70 years, you know, going through different regimes. And really the value there is that we've tested, um, you know, the, the inputs that are critical um, to watch and confirm a, um, a rally off the bear market bottom low. Um, and so, you know, for us, you know, we're consumers of research and, you know, we've been seeing a lot of things, especially from the sell side where, you know, a lot of their kind of bull, bull bear market indicators are telling you to, uh, lead in and be a contrarian buyer and you know obviously the forward returns and the hit rates the win rates and so forth look really good um, but I think for us um, the value from our checklist and some of our other tools is that um, we can see things not only in isolation but relative to where they stand with each other and I think the key insight there is that you know we want to see all of these necessary conditions in place rather than just focusing on one in isolation. Um, so just reviewing some of the key um, cyclical charts that I've got here. Um, so the top two um, charts on the right-hand side, these are our key liquidity indicators. Um, so global excess liquidity, um, that's pretty much at multi-decade lows. Um, and again, just to review what that actually is calculating, um, it's giving us a sense of how um, narrow money growth is evolving after it's being used up by the real economy. Uh, so the intuition there is that if excess liquidity is negative, um, it tells us that there's um, less of a safety net for risk assets. Um, and similarly, our BCFI, um, effectively just tracking how many central banks, uh, G20 central banks, are hiking across the world. Our forward BCFI is effectively giving us a handle on, you know, what are money markets pricing in, what's the evolution of central bank hiking paths going forward. And again, it's at extreme lows. So, um, you know, the, the key update for from the liquidity side is that our LEIs are at extreme lows and the growth picture, um, you know, our, our, our three uh, key growth leading indicators in the top left chart, um, that's telling us that growth conditions are rolling over and it's confirming the, the bad liquidity backdrop. Um, obviously our China leading indicator still hasn't turned up. Um, and I guess the saving grace is that our US leading indicator is still in positive territory. It is rolling over, 
Um, but again, some of the key signs that we're watching, things like the US consumer and how that relates to the Bullworth effect, is telling us that for now, the hard data is holding up. Um, but obviously looking at some of the longer leading inputs, it's telling us that the path is going to be a lot, um, a lot choppier going forwards. Um, so I think one of the, you know, one of the key things that we're thinking about with respect to our equity roadmap um, that we laid out, um, you know, after the March Fed meeting, just in terms of what are the necessary conditions for us to turn bullish, things like CPI peaking, um, you know, the Fed's backing off, China LEI turning up. If we are at that point where, you know, we are starting to see some green shoots in China, um, some of the liquidity conditions are starting to bottom and turn up. Um, M1's turning higher, real estate activity looks to have bottomed and turning up. Turning up. Um, if we do see China LEI turning up, but at the same time, global liquidity is terrible, then, um, you know, how do we weight these two together with respect to the, the overall equity roadmap? And the way that I would frame that is that, um, you know, it's one necessary condition for us to turn bullish, but it's not sufficient. Um, and so for, for us, it's a case of understanding, you know, okay, China LEI is about to turn up. What are the assets that are um, most sensitive to that upturn um, and that can still perform in an environment where global liquidity is still quite poor? And, you know, for us, it's pointing towards um, Chinese equities where a lot of the tactical tools have turned better. Um, and, you know, to some extent, they're less sensitive to the global liquidity cycle. And so for us, we'd be looking to get more bullish in those areas. But again, we're not, we're not quite there yet. But again, the, the signs are incrementally getting better for Chinese equities. Um, and so, of course, more broadly, for global equities and our stance there, we're, we're not at that point. Um, and before I just hand over to Tian, um, I think it is important just to touch on recession risks. Um, because obviously uh, Q2 GDP is, um, is coming out in a couple of weeks and it may or may not confirm that the US is in a technical recession. Um, and I think this is really where we want to clarify what our recession signal is, is trying to capture, um, where our recession signal is really trying to understand, is there cascading um, signs of, um, of effectively um, asset price cascade falls and that reflexivity where you start to see corporate and household behavior shift, where you get that retrenchment of spending. And that's really what converts an economic slowdown into a kind of a wide scale recession. And you get the rippling effects that cause these credit crunches and uh, lower lows in, uh, in risk assets. And so our recession signal is trying to capture that reflexivity. It's trying to capture simultaneous stress in uh, different parts of the economy and markets. And um, right now our US recession signal is, um, hasn't triggered as yet, um, but really it's, it's trying to understand how's the market gonna react to a technical recession because this truly does um, put us into a new environment where um, perhaps the NBER may not classify the US as being in a recession, but you still get the two negative quarters of, uh, of GDP. And I think again, the, the nuance is that the, um, the GDP print is coming out a, um, a day after the FOMC decision where effectively markets are telling the Fed to hike 100 bips. Um, and so maybe the Fed gets away with that as a kind of a pre-recession hike and then steps back. And again, I think we, we really need to understand what the path dependence is where um, effectively you've, you've got 
um, effectively markets that may stress out when this comes out, and then that may then lead to um, the kind of reflexive behavior and the cascade falls. But again, we'll we'll place our um, emphasis on our recession signal as telling us as as to when these cascade risks are about to spiral higher. Um, so Tian, I don't know if you um, if you had anything to add there, and if you want to review some of the tactical tools that we're seeing. Yeah, well, I, I, so, so I think what's top of mind for me is um, one. I, well, I think one is the fixed income market behavior is is extremely reasonable, actually, right? If you look at how how much we're inverting, I think that was kind of been the base case throughout the year. Um, the market is giving the Fed credibility, but equally pricing in kind of the the, um, the recession scare. So you just get a curve flattening, and that's kind of kind of playing out. Um, if, if you just go back though, like I, I do think we should emphasize, I, you know, it feels like there's not much new here because liquidity and growth and all these things are bad, right? It's just been a bad environment for a while. Liquidity has been bad for a while. The question is what's, what's truly new. And to, in my mind, it is really the downside risk is on the end of the bullwhip effect, right? This, this has been, after the pandemic, has been the mother of all bullwhip effects in the up cycle. So when that starts to reverse, it could be the mother of all bullwhip effects on the downside. And we're basically starting to see it in, a lot of the lead indicators for manufacturing, right? So, so, you know, in various surveys, right, when you get high liquidity, it's going to flow through. So the, the really the, the final missing piece is just the fact that the hard data in terms of the dollar values of, um, of manufacturing goods, of, of manufacturing orders and so forth, they've, they've not turned down. But bear in mind, it's a month delayed, right? So you're only seeing the main main numbers right now. And certainly things like ISM orders inventory is going down to one. And all these things suggest to me that that's a real big downside risk. And the question is really when it hits, right? So if it hits, if it really starts collapsing second half, then yeah, we probably do get, it, it probably starts to trigger our recession model and you get like a, a proper recession yeah. you know, this year. But obviously if that effect drags out, then it's pushing to kind of 2023 kind of territory, right? So I, I feel like that's the marginal new thing that's like a downside risk. Um, otherwise, clearly the, this, you know, we made the point before, right? The, the inflation scare is going to roll until pretty much, um, until earliest November, right? Because the, 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 the base effect season will become a lot less favorable um, going up for the next three months. So there's no Fed put still. So, um, you know, in that context, it, overall, I still, I still think the bearish um, kind of set positioning still makes sense um, so on, on the equity side. But on the bond side, obviously, we're now increasing on the side of looking at adding duration. Again, it's probably not the time to add duration, but certainly eight times to add it, right? And obviously there's different ways to express in that trade. I still think the 84 roadmap is pretty valid and that ultimately everything comes back to CPI, mm. but nobody really knows exactly how CPI is gonna play out because these energy and food stocks are um, just lasting a lot longer. Obviously we, we saw in the report again, goods inflation has continued to roll over, right? And most of the leading indicators are built around goods inflation. Uh, labor market's peaking, so that's fine. But again, it's just food and energy is very hard to, to say. And, and actually housing, um, I would say that the, the, the effects are actually being more persistent than our models are suggesting, right? We were expecting some of the, the kind of effects from the catch-up towards rent, mm -hmm. um, reported rent and the sampling to, to be catching up. But now you're getting to a point where I think the rent, rent if you look at Zillow indices and things like that, even rent, rents are starting to pick up again. So, you know, it, again, it shouldn't be so high. It shouldn't be going like five, six, right? But, you know, if it, even if it goes back to four, it's still like such a big weight in the... In, in the CPI basket, it kind of pops up CPI. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I would so, say so in my mind, yeah, not that much actually changed in the last month, right? 
but the ball will affect the main thing that increasingly looks like it's it's a bigger downside risk. Yeah, I think I think the key thing is um, the fact that what you know what is actually driving CPI, and as you mentioned, you know, shelter obviously the biggest weight, and um, you know, effectively all the signs are pointing to um, effectively a peak, but again, settling at a high plateau, which is the overall message for for headline. And um, you know, in terms of the month on month, I think this is really where um, the energy story is very much the wild card, right? Where um, you know the the bottom middle chart here on slide five. Um, that's, you know, motor fuel CPI is really doing the driving in terms of the month on month. And, you know, yes, we are seeing some favorable signs just from looking at uh, gas prices that are a little bit better on a year on year basis. But again, it's just how do you, um, you know, how do you weight that relative to the very challenging base effects from uh, from last year? And again, it's thinking, thinking through the story of you know, are refiners actually building up inventories on a sustainable basis? Are we seeing uh, crack spreads ease? And, you know, yes, we have seen that in uh, in July so far, um, but it's, um, you know, I think for us to really see that CPI peak and uh, coming off that, we need to see a more sustained um, path for, for some of these signs of energy to, to really roll over. Um, I think, yeah, with, with respect to, um, uh, how broad-based inflation is, I think it is pretty shocking just looking at the top right chart, um, just how many components are, uh, are seeing, you know, 5% year-on-year rises. Uh, you can look on a month-on-month -month basis as well, just looking at perhaps like 0.4, 0 0.5% um, increases month-on-month. -month. And again, the story is, is the same where, uh, you know, we're pretty much at, at 1970 levels in terms of how broad-based inflation is across the, um, across the economy. And um, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, in terms of how this affects our, um, our duration roadmap, um, you know, one of the interesting things that we looked at um, a week or so ago was just looking at implied recession pricing, um, trying to understand, you know, relative to previous recessions, um, you know, what are the various asset classes pricing in, and so you can we can look at today's drawdowns relative to uh, previous episodes, and I think it was pretty shocking just looking at. Um, bond pricing relative to equity pricing, where equities are pricing in a fair amount of bad news. Um, however, bonds um, are not pricing in recession risks at all in the sense that the 10-year yields hasn't really uh, drawn down as much as it should have um, relative to its peak um, and relative to, to previous um, uh, recessionary episodes. Um, and so I think, you know, to that extent, a lot of signs are leaning towards adding duration. I think it's just a case of respecting some of the tactical tools where, um, you know, we, sh we showed that the LPPL crash is over, um, you know, seasonally favorable period and so forth. Our fair value models are still incredibly divergent with where 10 year yields are trading um, relative to where they, you know, quote unquote, should trade. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the next marginal move for us will be to, to draw down on, on our cash overweight and, and look to deploying into duration. But, um, you know, I think, again, we, we have to be pretty active in, in terms of um, couching it because um, whilst the 1984 roadmap does hold true, I think we do, do still need to respect some of the tactical tools that we have at our disposal, right? And so to the extent that we are seeing some of these contrarian buy signals, I think it does uh, certainly makes sense to kind of dip our toes in. And then as the cyclical signs line up, it's effectively a case of converting that tactical long into a cyclical long, right? Um, and I think that's 
really where the, the kind of the time horizons really do matter, right? Where our tactical tools work over that one to three month horizon, cyclical more six to 12 months. Um, yes, I mean, just on this chart though, I, I think the point to make is our, our fair value mob has actually collapsed, right? It's predicting one and a half percent fair value on 10 years. It, it's probably exaggerating the move slightly because it's basically entirely driven by the, the extreme move in the euro dollar. Yeah, euro dollar curve, right? Because you you get basically obviously you can as obviously you put in the bottom right chart, right? Everything is now being loaded into this year, and then you're going to start cutting from 23 onwards, and so that's causing such a big inversion, and the, the pace of it so so fast. That's kind of what's driving it down. So it you know realistically it probably won't get that low in the cycle, but I think it certainly gives you a sense of the directional bias, right? So I think, um, yeah, it, it, it's you know adding adding duration. Fine duration certainly makes sense, right? If you in terms of when when you get the dip and you'll start going higher, I think it, it, we need to make a point that it needs to be in the long end, not in the not in the front end. So ultimately, it's still ultimately the bias is that the trend is still towards curve flattening. So if you get like period steepening, right? So so this is the issue, right? It's more like a range trading thing. Now, if you get a massive inversion within five five thirty, you should probably almost always hold your nose and buy it and then accept the terrible carry because it'll, it'll probably rebound reasonably quickly and you have a chance to make money but then once it does you kind of need to go the other way because the trend is, is still that whilst inflation scare goes on um the, the tendency is that um you know the, fr the front end is going to have to take 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 the brunt of the selling and then yeah. people worry about inflation on the back end so you know I, I still think that's kind of the main main thing here right so I, so yeah to you know to the extent you get periods of steepening it makes sense to sell into it and then you, when you get very extreme inversions then obviously it's kind of you kind of have to hold hold your nose to try and make the tactical trade. So that's kind of what it feels like. I mean, the good news is you, know, you put the chart here, I think this is a really important chart at the bottom left, right? If you look at the five-year, five-year overnight real rate, the gray line, right? And obviously it's built by looking at the five-year, five-year OIS take away the five-year, five-year implied inflation. Like, you know, that, that's, that's now getting to a level at least that you've seen towards the last end of previous and hiking cycles, mm -hmm. right? So at least that gives you some comfort. Yeah, we, we, you know, that the, the market isn't massively wrong. Um, uh, isn't looking massively um, out, out of um, out of sync um, with where where we see the the Fed, right? So. Yeah, I would. Um, so I guess a question for ETN is that whilst we are seeing some of the cyclical signposts for for adding duration, I mean. Um, does that carry across into, um, I guess, you know, the, the growth tech names where you'd start a bet on that reversal? Because, you know, from my perspective, the way I'm looking through a lot of the, the liquidity and growth tools and so forth, um, it still looks like a good environment to hold on to your quality and value tilts, right? Um, you know, we've shown, you know, I've got there the, the capital cycle chart for energy from a structural case. Um, it's still a good environment to, to stay with, um, with a lot of these um, very capital constrained companies um, and at the same time um, you know our, our bias towards these kind of oligopolies consumer staples names have really um, really helped us through this year I think um, and to the extent that they can you know they have pricing power and so forth but um, you know we've been um, avoiding a lot of the long duration sectors but um, given what you've said for the, um, the duration roadmap would you be looking to, at least on a tactical basis, um, be going back into the kind of bombed out software growth space? Uh, uh, 
I mean, not, not in any meaningful sense, right? I mean, if we, obviously we're getting a lot of these tactical buy signals. So if you really wanted to like hunt it for a week, obviously there's transport to capture a lot of the upside rallies. I mean, the issue with tech is like, you know, it's, you're getting to a point where there is going to be probably cascade set. And obviously a lot of private um, valuations starting to get marked down. It's a little bit like the analogy to housing, right? So, so the, issue, the issue with like the more liquid part of the market is because it doesn't trade that often initially, everyone gets anchored in previous prices. So it's so exactly the same, like, this is why house prices are lagging, but like housing transactions are more leading, right? So in tech as well, for the private sector, it's kind of like you get to the point where a lot of the people that were anchored on 2021 valuations of, of realizing, okay, this is not the same. Obviously, we see tech layoffs really picking up, right? Obviously, we track the layoff.fyi website um, to see the startup layoffs. So you're getting to the point where, you know, employees, people that were looking to sell, right? They're going to, you know, own up to the fact they might have to sell it because they need cash or, you know, you know, whatever reason, right? This is the whole, that's the whole point why we have such a big focus on our liquidity cycle. The liquidity cycle is poor, and in that environment, um, I don't think all the pain has been taken, right? So if you, but if you flip that around, this is probably if you are like if you have like a three to five year, you know, you're, you're doing private equity, right? There's obviously going to be a lot of great companies that are going to struggle to uh, raise financing in this environment. So you're going to probably get a really good chance to negotiate really really favorable terms. Um, to, you know, to, to deploy your capital for these, these companies, right? But, but yeah, it, it, I don't think the pain's over. There's gonna be another, there's gonna be another leg to go, right? Which also it isn't gonna be good for, um, uh, for, for the overall market. Um, you know, I, I've said this, I think like on, on like every, every one of these monthly calls before, right? The number one mistake that I've, I've observed historically we make is you, we get too excited by all the, all the kind of specific stories and lose sight of the best lead indicators we have, which is BCFI excess liquidity, right? I, how we track liquidity. And if liquidity is terrible, generally nothing does well in that environment other than bonds mm -hmm. um, usually, right? So I'm like, we cannot forget that. That's kind of the most important thing. At the margin, yeah, there's a lot of relative value ideas. Obviously China outperforming versus um, rest of EM, right? I mean, we did hardware, software before Brazil outperforming versus rest of EM versus rest of Latin, that's fine. But if you're talking absolute direction, like yeah. the most overwhelmingly important thing is the query cycle is still bad and it's getting worse. It's not getting better. So it's not going to be an environment where you're going to get a lot of risk assets uh, rallying in a sustainable way. And arguably, that's also why the, the rallies are being so weak. Um, you know, I, I still feel like the only reason to be bullish is everyone's so bearish. Right. I mean, obviously, if you look at the headline, the, the reports, like it's so bearish. But once again, like if you backtest all these like consensus earning stuff, it, you, it only goes back to like the mid 2000s. Yeah. Right. So again, it's all been in a regime where um, it's been low inflation. The Fed has always existed. So the, so the Fed policy has been happy to flip around quite quickly. With, this is a new, new, new period. Right. The, the central bank, the Fed put still doesn't exist in any practical sense. Right. You need like a major, like another major leg. Down, right. Um, obviously, we have our Fed easing trigger and things like that. But you know, they they've made that point. They've staked that claim already, right? It's inflation. It's about protecting Fed long-term credibility. They've told you, and they they follow through. Um, so that there's not there's just not nothing in this environment. Um, so I, I just think we can't lose sight of that bigger picture. Like the the, the till is still going to be risk off for the next six months. Obviously, within it, if that's interesting thing to do, like you know, China and these kind of things, then it kind of makes sense. And obviously, if you have the three to five year view. It's probably not a bad point to start, you know, nibbling at things you think valuations cheap. Certainly, if you can do private to negotiate your own deals, you can probably negotiate very, very favorable terms that protect you, help you be high up in the capital structure. But if you're investing in liquid assets and you're kind of looking three to six months out, um, you know that 
basically what, what is that what 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 data in anything we track other than the fact that everybody's bearish um uh is there to suggest the bottom is in right so if you go back to the market bottom checklist like you know the the economy is ultimately very important i think to sustain the narrative yeah right? so if we look through the list right like well, I mean, yeah, positive shift in monetary policy. Like historically, all the major bottoms, you need to see monetary policy have a positive shift. And then with the lag, it starts to feed through, right? And because even if uh, Fed, the Fed starts cutting M1 growth, money growth might not respond immediately, which is why we try excess, excess liquidity so much, right? It's such a good inherent contrarian indicator. Yeah. And so, you know, without that, you know, it, you know, it's things like expectations versus current you know, consume, consumer expectations versus current conditions, right? That's what that line is. Again, like we're, we're nowhere near, it's kind of going the other way. And then even the market itself, the, the signal, right? You need to see bonds rally first because you need a real big recession earnings scare. And then you need to see that start to reverse so the market starts to accept that, yes, uh, policy is easing, the curve starts steepening, and then, um, and then, and then you're kind of uh, away again, right? So we just don't have that. So this isn't a, ma a major, it's very unlikely to be a major bottom. Right? The only way this will work is if we manage to kind of thread the needle in the US avoids recession and the inflation just comes off, mm. right? But that's that's like the only scenario now. Obviously our, our US recession model hasn't triggered, but you know it triggered for Europe, right? A few months ago, China's been in recession since November last year. So you know the, if the rest, of, if the other major economies in recession and there's reluctance to ease, obviously the ECB is priced to obviously be they're still priced to be hiking into like well into 23, right? That there's not much, um, there's not much relief coming from elsewhere. So you would need the US economy to hold up, but if the policy stimulus in the US is going down and there's a downside risk to borrow effect, then everything comes back to when, when the Fed shifts. But the Fed keeps telling you they're not gonna shift um, in the same way they have in the past 20 years, right? Like, so, yeah, I think as long as that's missing, you, the focus is still probably on, on, on kind of more risk-off cautious, right? Like, you know, I think I said this last month where I'd be very, you know, if you allow it, I'm very comfortable saying 100% cash or like 95% cash and, and just wait, wait, wait it out, right? Yeah. But if you force me to buy stuff, I'm buying bonds and buying energy. Yeah. Well, if you force me to buy stuff, I'm buying long-duration bonds and I'm buying energy, this is going to come across as super bearish, right? But I'm like, I don't think we're bearish in a sense, we're just being affected by everybody else being bearish. We've got a clear roadmap here, where we studied all the market bottoms, that's yeah. the checklist. We studied the, our liquidity side of things has worked out sample for years, right? They're telling us it's not time. Um, so, so, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm going back to. Yeah, I think um, one of the extreme things that I've, um, I've, I've seen over the last few months or so that's been playing out and it's just getting even more extreme, is just the SPAC market. Um, which is just totally bombed out. And I think this is where um, it's almost just conflated, kind of conflated views where the DSPAC market has rightly bombed out, right? It's just chickens coming home to roost where um, you've got these incredibly um, unprofitable companies in, um, you know, incredibly competitive sectors um, where, you know, naturally they've disappointed. Um, but um, on the other side where, you know, you've got the, the SPACs where, you know, that's effectively um, a place to park your cash and you get a free look at the deal where, um, you know, you have that optionality, right? And I've been looking at some of the warrants that are effectively priced to, to almost zero. And it's telling me that, um, you know, it, looking at some of these sectors where, 
you, you can still protect your cash in a bad liquidity environment. You still get the, the decent yields pick up. Um, but at the same time, if liquidity conditions do turn up, if we do get that kind of threading the needle scenario where um, you don't get a recession, um, I'd be looking at that op optionality and uh, licking my lips, right? Um, and so to that extent, I think um, there are still areas that are very interesting to us. And I think, you know, it's a case of um, just showing some of these uh, these ideas, how they played out. And, um, you know, again, going back to LATAM, we've been flagging this for a, for a long time where, um, you know, the structural side looks incredible, the capital cycle and so forth. Um, you know, investor outflows have just been absolutely extreme. Um, and I think now we're starting to see our Brazil LEI turn up, um, which would be an incredible environment to buy into that story. But again, I think we need a culture where globally, you know, liquidity conditions are terrible. So um, again, it's, it's, I think it comes back to sizing, right? And what are your time horizons that you work over? And, you know, for us, if we're looking at the tactical cyclical and structural um it's a case of respecting that the cycle the cyclical picture is still bad but again kind of sizing as you see the structural line up that's that's a tick the tactical almost there for brazil uh, but then the cyclical is kind of in that weird gray zone where the brazil domestic cycle is starting to, to turn up as the bcb gets into a dovish bias um but the global cycle is still a bit poor so Again, how do you weight that? But I think it's it's just checking off these signposts as they occur, right? And then marrying that up to your own time horizon as an investor. But um, I think, yeah, for as you say, for the time being, it, it still makes sense to retain that overweight in cash and um, and just sticking with uh, the, some of the structural stories that have played out very nicely. Um, we're at the uh, the thirty minute mark. Um, Tian, I, I don't know if there's anything else you'd want to highlight for um, for clients. Um. Yeah, I think the only thing I've been uh, thinking about is um, the fact that the, the 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 volatility markets have obviously been behaving very differently um, uh, in in the sell-off versus mm -hmm. kind of what you what you've seen uh, previously, right? Where generally skews on skew and and vol have been underperforming. Obviously, we tracked that. You know, we wrote the understanding volatility white paper where we laid out a lot of the things we tracked. Um, so yeah, you still we're still in a period where vol's been underperforming. There's various reasons people advance for it. Um, you know that 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 asset managers are demanding less hedges because they are already de-risk, right? That's one. You know, there's been this talk about there's been these huge pushback collar trades from JP Morgan and so forth that's been out there, which is um, obviously put, put a lot of gamma um, down. Like was it thirty six hundred or whatever it was, and then and then so that that's kind of you know, that's another reason why. Um, you know, you, you haven't seen skew perform. Um, but yeah, I just think that, that that's like a very strange thing where normally at truly viable major bottoms that you get a, a proper proper vol spike because people kind of pile into it and you just you still kind of haven't seen it um, this time around. So I think that that would be an interesting thing to observe. And obviously right now you're seeing quite a big divergence between realized vol and implied. So realized vol recently has, been, actually, uh, has dropped a lot. Obviously implied vol is also kind of staying thing up so it's this really awkward thing where you know again if, if you look at previous kind of major bottoms and buy things you really want to see like a, a proper ball ball spike right um like the, the true panic and then it's over so you know who knows maybe it's coming obviously some of the retail retail investor proxies are starting to show retail investors starting to get out of the market right it's just starting um you know so, so you know we'll see if that if that 
follows through them. Yeah, I, I would just highlight on on your bold point that um, you know our partner Elevation Securities they've um, they've come up with some very cute ideas just to trade around the fact that we're seeing some of these um, divergences in bond markets and you know things like single name trades that that kind of um, that that are really giving you a kind of free look at earnings. I think um, again to that extent, I think it, it helps us navigate through this very uh, choppy cyclical environment. Um, I think we'll leave it there, Tian. Um, thank you, everyone, for uh, for joining us this month. We'll post a uh, transcript and a recording onto our portal um, in the uh, next day or two, and uh, we look forward to welcoming you on uh, next month's call. Thanks very much.